Stan is on paternity leave, so I'm going to host Draftsman's Solo with rotating guests, but Stan plans to return for a final episode with me where we'll talk about books. This episode, Joseph Todorovich. Here we are with Joseph Todorovich, a painter whom I've known for 20, 22 years. Is that correct? Did I meet you in, in spring of 1998? Well, we did, we did the math. I think you're right. Yeah. How are you today? I'm well, Marshall. How are you? I'm doing very well. I am glad to have the privilege to talk with you and uh, in front of draftsman listeners. Are you in your studio then? This is where you paint? Yeah, I'm in my studio. This is where I paint. And the honor is, is mine. It's, it's awesome to be able to do this, finally kind of catch up and, and talk about the beginnings. I, I've been, uh, you know, uh, heaping praise on you for a long time. Oh, well, thank you. Joseph and I have kept in touch since he was a student in university in the late 90s. But I don't know that in the time that we've spent together at school dinners and such, that we've talked much about art. We've talked more about parenthood than about art and about life. But this is the Draftsman Podcast and you are known as a, an, a painter, a portrait artist, a really good painter and portrait artist. But I want to talk with you uh, about art. Have you been painting today so far? No, I have not been painting today. I've been doing daddy duties in the morning. You want to tell us about that? I enjoy it. It's <laughs> the best thing in the world. It's funner than painting these days. Now, some people might not understand. If you've been a father for 21 years and you're doing daddy duties this morning, tell us more about what this means. Well, I'm a new dad again. Oh, and uh, I've got an amazing baby girl who is uh, my my favorite person in the world next to my wife, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and we're doing this lockdown thing together. It's saving me because they're my two most favorite people in the world. So, I feel really, really privileged to be able to go through this with them. Without, without it, I might have jumped out the window already. So, <laughs> How is the balance between work and, uh, and parenthood, even though you've got a separate studio, You've still got the challenge of the lockdown. How's that going? The only thing we're really struggling with is the development of our, our, our baby girl because now she's starting to walk yeah. and she's missing out on that critical social interaction of little kids and, yeah. and you know, she the, the little girl next door, you know, they're starting to kind of want to get close and all this and how do you tell kids to stay away from each other? Oh, how do you yeah. oh, My heart is broke. Before, before you know, we've got a, we got good. We got she was born before it and then she was an infant all throughout it and but now she's starting to get into that stage where it's she she can't we can't keep her away from people because she wants to socialize and it's starting to get a little bit tricky yeah this is a rough thing i not responsible for a little kid i don't give it a lot of thought but you've got to give it a lot of thought oh that's all we think about marshall i think about that more than anything else in the world and and so we, but we are just pouring love and love and love into her. We love her so much. I mean, she is our whole universe. Yeah. And she is bringing us so much joy, but 
it, our hearts are aching for, for what she's missing, but thankfully she doesn't really know she's missing it yet. But not being around other kids, a bit like not being around sunshine, that it can have a negative effect, but you're giving her as much sunshine as you can from the grownups and much interaction, right. physical touch, affection, celebration, uh, playing. It's like the desire to play is so overwhelming in a kid and grownups are so tired compared to what they want. <laughs> Do you have a pet? No, we don't have a pet and we, uh, we're we holding off on that um, a little bit because our next door neighbor's got a pet and it's just more work for them. <laughs> right. But I will say this, like I thought I was going to be out of energy completely. She's actually provided a source of energy for me. Really? And my, my wife is so, she's my hero. Watching her and her level of patience with with the baby, it has inspired me along with the baby's energy provided to me. I, I am like, I am, I, I've mentally matured to a place of like, oh, you know, this is, this is, this is great. What are we doing now? You know, no problem. It's, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I'm actually, I'm actually really very, 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 very joyful in life because uh -huh. of those two. You got one of the sweetest paternal spirits of anybody I know. And uh, would that more kids had the uh, had that in their parents. Yeah, she's got involved parents. Yeah, yeah. Who are choosing to love this job. Man, it's all I want to do. I mean, like my work is great and all. And I love my work and, and, and I'm thankful that my wife is supportive of, of my work. But, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it, and the good news is I'm not chasing anything anymore. Like I'm not chasing learning how to draw and paint anymore. There's always something to learn, but I'm in a, like, I'm in a much more, a uh, better place, a much better position in life with like, I don't need to be doing that all day long. Cause when I do go to the studio, I do, I put that investment, I'm present and I, I, I know what I want to do and I don't need any help anymore, so to speak. I'm on my own journey now, you know, anyway, anyhow, but uh, it's a nice balance. I, I'm actually really, really, truly grateful for it. But You said you haven't painted today because you've been doing daddy duties today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you going to paint later today? Probably not. I'm probably going to go home and spend time with the family and just relax today. So, this is not, your studio is not in your home. This is not in my home. My studio is like two blocks away from my home. Uh, so, it's it's actually pretty cool, very convenient and it's nice to have that separation of uh, existence uh, for work and home and uh, but it's, it's also really cool because, you know, when I take a break, we go home, we go out for a walk and, you know, have, have lunch and things like that and it's, it's amazing, you know, I can, we can be close at all times which is huge. That is wonderful. And, and do, you, do you walk or do you drive? I do both. I, I like to walk but um, I get lazy so I, it's just quicker. Believe it or not, I'm trying to shave two minutes off of my, off, like any minute I can get like back in this, in this life, I'll, I'll take it. So, I, I do drive. I do drive it. Yeah. Hey, I'm not putting very many miles on my truck and it's paid for and I'm like super stoked. So <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> How many hours do you spend in a studio in a day? It depends on the depends on the project and and on the day and what's going on. Like uh, teaching, you know, it can be. I mean, I mean, it can it can vary. So classes are like six hours. So I'll start an hour before, stay an hour after, decompress, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, 
you know, just kind of finish up. So, but if it, if it's, uh, it depends on how, it depends on, um, the project. If it really needs to be nurtured, Mm -hmm. you know, I will stay as long as I'm allowed to. (laughs) Some paintings, they take so long, you know, so, um, it's, it's nice to kind of like, uh, get them blocked in, get them established. And, and then that takes such a long time. And then there's this whole other, uh, phase of, uh, refining the block in and kind of, uh, continue on, continuing on that can just, that can go on for days sometimes. Okay. I want to spend some time on this. When you say refining the block in. Yeah. You mean that the big choices, not the details are what you're concerned with in that block in. Certainly. Certainly. Especially the larger the painting and the, the more elements of the composition, uh, then that just means the more relationships have to be accurately established, right? Um, and and that is, you know, that can take some time physically to just, just you know, uh, deposit that paint in that right place, you know? Yeah. Aside from, uh, um, you know, refining it and, and painting all the subtle nuances um, that need to come ultimately. Do you do anything like step back from it or turn it upside down or squint a lot? Oh, yeah. I I step back a lot and I squint a lot and that's where all this stuff comes from, you know. (laughs) You mean the crow's feet that make you look old and haggard? (laughs) That's just genetics. I'm just kidding. No, (laughs) No, but I do do squint a lot and I do step back a lot. I probably don't squint enough actually, but uh, I do step back a lot and... um, and all of those strange things. I don't really turn the canvas upside down or look through a mirror. I know some people do that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to read that way, so I don't really mind how it looks in in a reverse or up, upside down mode. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'll try anything though if I'm stuck or if I hit a wall or if I, you know, if it's just not going feeling right. But the idea is that it if it does not work on the great big decisions then putting all of the subtle nuance and detail is not going to fix it. Absolutely. Well, I I sense that about your paintings that the moment I look at them, they don't take a half a second read before you can tell that it works. And so, this this is by design. This is where a good deal of your energy goes. Well, I appreciate that. That's kind. And, you know, I, I, I would say that's true. It's like my, one of my ideas is like when you walk past like at the Norton Simon, for example, the museum in Pasadena, if you walk past this certain room, there's a Rembrandt in there mm-hmm. and boom, it's just like, it's just the only thing that I can see when I walk yeah. past that room. I'm like, you know, a hundred feet away or whatever. And that's, that's the big read, you know, and, uh, it's simple, you know, light on dark, but there's a subtlety to that light on dark. There's a, there's something, there's a nuance to it that is also really captivating. Um, and, uh, it's just the impact of, of that initial uh, big relationship is what I think draws the viewer in and then you get closer and you get to savor all the details. So, it's kind of the way I try to, uh, to set up a painting. Here we are five minutes into the interview with Joseph and you're getting great painting advice. I mean, that's, that's fundamental painting advice. Be skeptical. Be skeptical. Of all. Well, what's that mean? <laughs> no. Be skeptical about no, I, what? 
No, I always tell people, don't take my word for it. You know, just yeah. like, because I, I like to, I like to um, be clear about, you know, opinions versus kind of universal truths. You know, the universal truths are in nature and in our own personal experience of creating the painting. Uh, art advice, it, you know, there's, it, it flies around and sometimes it's, it's not, it, it's just accepted without, um, you know, uh, corroborating whether those ideas are factual or not. Yeah. There's not a lot of data out there or, or studies, but um, like, um, uh, you know, composition, for example, is one of those things that there's a lot of, uh, you know, rules about it, but um, there's no data to support, you know, whether or not it makes it good. They're all just sort of principles. Like what you're mentioning, yeah. the opposite yeah. could be the, uh, the case. That the more impulsive and quickly you do those initial lay-ins, the more you're going to tap into the thing that yes. makes it the best it can be. Oh, so, there's an gosh. opposite truth. But when you're, when you're spending hours on a painting and you're caring in the early stages about big versus small, uh, that makes a lot of sense for the training of a painter. It's the kind of thing that I wish I had given more thought to because I cared so much about detail. Many a student is this way. They'll care so much about detail that they feel, feel that if the composition isn't working, that's okay. It'll look so beautiful on the surface and the texture when I get all that detail in there. And that's exactly the way not to think in getting habits. It's, it's one of the most difficult things to learn is how to see less. And how to see less is hard to do because we're so, we're so excited to get there and, and we, we appreciate everything that's going on. And that, and I know I can tackle that nuance. I know I can get that. I know I can get that transition. Uh, it, it's it, we have to train ourselves to see less, especially early on in the in the painting, because we're starting with nothing. We're starting blank, and so that's where the organization has to be really, you know, set up well. I think. But yeah, you're right. It's it's one of the most common habits of the beginning student. Yeah. Okay, gold coin one. Uh, now, let's move on to, uh, our, there's a few things I want to ask you, Joseph, and I don't want to try to ask them all at once. Uh, the work, and you say you start with nothing. You, you usually do portraits, don't you? You do a number of things. What is, how would you describe yourself as an artist? Your genre, your, your, your position? Yeah, I think about that all the time. I, I I, I guess I guess I can tack down that I'm, I'm primarily a figurative artist. I, I I like to paint landscapes. I like to paint still lifes. Um, I like to invent. I like to just draw for fun in terms of like making a mess. I like to do a lot of things. But my my professional work I think is, is predominantly figurative work. Uh, I think it's more genre work instead of like a true portraiture. I'm, I don't consider myself a portrait painter. I don't take a lot of commissions. Um, but I love to paint the portrait because I think that, you know, that it has, you know, if you're going to have a figure, you need to know how to paint the portrait well in a lot of different positions and lighting scenarios and, and, and levels of resolve. So, I, I like to consider myself a portrait painter. I, I have made a little bit of a name as a portrait artist, but I don't, I wouldn't say that that's my main thing. I, and it changes, I guess, from, from era to era, um, I'm trying to find something different and, and new and exciting and, uh, and, and it kind of challenges me further as I, as I go along and learn more and grow or mature or get older, whatever. <laughs> You've done a lot of oil. Do you have a favorite medium? I, I think oil paint is my medium of choice. Um, yeah, I love I love drawing. I love charcoal, and I, I love doing resolved work in charcoal. But I I don't do it as well as some people. 
or I should say I don't spend enough time drawing for a final product as, as some artists do. I, I'd like to, but it's just painting is faster and that's where I'm trying to go anyway is make a painting ultimately. Um, I'm not really interested in selling my drawings a, as a fine art product uh, um, as much as I am in, as selling my paintings and, and uh, making paintings. But I, I like to think that with more time, I, I would, you know, be just fine with charcoal. It's, it's my next, it's drawing is the thing, Marshall, as you know. You introduced me to the idea of draftsmanship. And for that, my friend, I am forever, ever grateful. <laughs> well, th thank you, Joseph. Now, this has all been about traditional media, right? Are you a digital artist? I am now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can paint in Photoshop a little bit and I can paint Procreate. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm no, I'm no champ at it, and, but I, I work really traditionally in those media to uh, just kind of uh, primarily additive, mm -hmm. uh, but not necessarily, but... Explain that. When you say primarily additive, tell us what you mean. I just keep painting on top. If I need a light value to knock out a dark value I, or, or vice versa, I just keep layering on top and just kind of build it up. As opposed to, I know some, some uh, people in the background, like they'll have a layer for the sky, a layer for the... Uh, actually, I've been doing this a little bit too. I took a class on this uh, kind of layout class and I, I tried it. It's actually really effective. So, I'm starting to work in layers and be a little more organized that way in some projects if, if needed. But uh, yeah, just primarily just building on top of everything. Just keep going. Do you find yourself missing digital when you're working with oil or vice versa? Now I do because it's kind of like a new craft. It's a new, it's an exciting thing to play with. But after a while, I just get tired of being in front of the computer. Yes. And so, that's, that's beautiful. I can always retreat back to home and pick up the brush and paint, you know. Yeah. It's convenient too, you know. You don't have to get the, the, the mineral spirits out and the paper towels and the easel and all that kind of stuff, which I used, I used to really uh, cherish doing that as a student. And I still do. But... Uh, it's just nice and convenient to be able to paint digitally and still get some of the some, some of the satisfaction of drawing or drawing in color and 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 just being mobile a little bit more mobile. And, yeah. and the, the other thing that I find that I really like about it is is uh, as as a teaching instrument to like make corrections for people. That's been like a, revel a revelation because you they can't not you can't argue with it when you just put that layer on and off, you know. Because I, I don't know if you've experienced like helping, like maybe kind of working on somebody's work and then, and then you've changed what they had done their, and they, you know, and they don't see the difference. But it, the high contrast between what wasn't working and then an explanation on top of it to show and then to go back. That. that. Yeah. Don Richardson, the, uh, the acting teacher used to, when he would correct uh, performers who did not make good decisions for how they interpreted a scene, he would gradually show them how to fix the scene, what decisions were, were not good, and then have them go back and do it the first way for contrast. And th that was what brought out so many of the lessons in relief. But yes, there is that advantage that you've got a layer you can turn on and off. Teaching, as you know, and I consider you one of the best of all time, uh, uh, clearly, um, uh, you, you just instilled a, a passion in me for it that it, it, it's like a bar that I feel I have to, you know, really, uh, I feel really responsible for. 
um, as you know, though, you know, there's times where you can put a lot of energy into to an explanation or, or, a, you know, or a, a correction and it, it, they might just not be, um, um, ready to receive that yet, you know, yeah. and it, it isn't enthusiastic as, as we can be or not, that might not matter. And that's okay. That's not there. That's just the way it is. And then, uh, but having that, having that on off on off i think in giving that to them with the correction in the and then kind of solidifying the concept i think is just so valuable yeah i, I think that too uh, people have wondered how do you teach how do you teach a drawing or painting online and it's just i think it's great i think this is some of the most efficient teaching that i've ever done to Everybody's got got it in front of their face, and we're we're filling our face with it, and and yeah, there's there's wonderful things about it. Yeah, but let's get back to uh, to your work. Uh, the uh, do you get in the zone when you work in the studio for long periods of time? I do. I'm trying to function from that place, you know. Mm -hmm. Ideally, I want that continuity to kind of be kind of an undercurrent to the image and the end. Because yeah. you're kind of seeming different things together and when in between painting sessions, you're having different life experiences and so forth and, you know, you might approach it emotionally different, which I, I try to leave some of that out of it. I don't know. I, I don't know how to, uh, I try to manage, you know, my emotion in a way that is, is uh, subordinate to the continuity of, of the painting, but still allows it to come in, obviously. Okay. I want to hear more about that. Managing emotion subordinate yeah. to the continuity of the painting. Does that have to do with patience? Does that have to do with uh, with the, your emotions change from beginning to end of the process? Yeah, I think, well, patience is huge for me. I had to learn it and I had to hone it and I had to foster it because I'm not inherently a patient person, I would argue. But as far as the emotional part of it, it there's times I just maybe don't want to paint or there's times I, I'm really mad or, or something, you know, or or sad or whatever. And I might, you know, but that's, that's no reason to not work, you know. So, taking that with you but not letting that, you know, destroy the painting, you know, come in and kind of and take over the painting. So, that's subordinate to the, the, the continuity and I think that that just comes with, you know, maturity. Some people have it really early and, and others don't. Uh, but, you know, it's just something that I would, I would keep in mind because a painting can change on a dime. You can think you've got it trapped in the corner all the way up to the finish line and then right there fall, you know, and, and then like one stroke later, the whole read of it, the whole read is is different. The, the, the thing you carefully nurtured all the way up into that point is is just vanishes. It, it, it's a feeling. Now, the painting, the image is probably still relatively okay or there or whatever, but you know, you want to leave on that note of like, oh, I, I really nurtured this to that point and then step back from it and that's the way I feel about how that painting was made and the, the resolve and I can accept that. I like that. I like accepting a painting in that, in that way um, it, it, instead of going, oh, damn it, I missed it. No, okay, well, I can just fix it and then fix it and then go, okay, great. It's great now, you know. If we're talking about mastery, you know, like, uh, which is something to um, uh, pursue, you know, and, and, and maybe never achieve, you know, 
it seems like an important part of the the process if we're talking about real mastery like the the entire thing of it and 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 the performance of it you know and the way you feel about the performance it doesn't mean it's perfect cuz but it means that the the audience leaves with this with this perfect is it a gestalt that term I, I i keep hearing this term and this is an art term i i'm supposed to know this term but you're probably right. Gestalt is a German word and here's what I understand is that the, the immediate sense impression, the thing that doesn't take time to analyze or think about, it's just that that quickly you get a vibe off of something and uh, that's what you're talking about. The, the viewer has that impression. Yes. And, and also as the creator going through the process, it has that kind of fulfillment that came along with it in terms of like you're feeling good about the execution. I felt pretty good about that performance. You know, I blew it here, I blew it there, but ultimately, like, I, I, that was probably the best time I, I, I recited that, that, that work, you know, and, uh, and I, I stand by that work, you know, and I think that along with the, the gestalt that you're talking about mm -hmm. of the viewer, those in combination, I think is, is maybe the recipe for a masterful work of art. I, I don't know. I, I, never made a masterful work of art yet. Well, but these are the things I, I, I think about and want to pursue. I, it's just fascinating how, what makes something, you know, resonate with a lot of people. Let me tell you what's fascinating to me. This is a trip to hear that you describe yourself as not a patient person. And the reason it's a trip is that I would, when I look at your work, I can see emotional involvement in the process, uh. long-term emotional involvement in the process. And anybody, a kid could figure out quickly, this is someone who spent a lot of time on this and cared. And if you're doing that painting after painting after painting, it's a relatively confident conclusion to say that's a patient person but you're coming you're coming at it from having not been a patient person and it would did did the process of painting contribute to your developing patients yes yeah, so i said i wasn't inherently a patient person i okay. had to learn how to be patient and and then you're absolutely right and one of the things i talk about a lot is is investment in a painting you can't fake investment it hit it it has a weightiness to it and so, like, a la prima painting is how I cut my teeth. That's how I learn how to paint. That's, that's, you got to get those repetitions. It will always be a part of my, my life. Uh, is, and that is the way to learn how to paint, in my opinion, miles. But, you know, when you're talking about, you know, you know more ambitious works and so forth, there, the, the degree of investment and, uh, and, and time and patina that a painting can take on, I think, add, can, can add to uh to that impact that you were talking about where anyone can recognize it wow like there there is some time in this you know and uh i i do i do to some degree push for that and, um and i'm you know i'm a relatively lazy painter sometimes too so but this is all stuff over over time i've i've learned to kind of kind of say wait a minute you know slow down and give this enough respect right here in this particular area or so forth. You can be a little bit quicker and kind of cut a corner here and actually balance it out and, and create a nice balance of really high resolve and then kind of an impressionistic area that will complement each other. So, I try to like wage that war carefully um, mm -hmm. to, to, to make sense visually. 
Gold coin number two. Thank you. Now, you mentioned a couple of terms that people who are not trained yet, not experienced painters may not understand a la prima or patina. Can you explain what, and, and you, you spoke so highly of a la prima as a way to learn to paint. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, a la prima is basically just painting in one session and finishing it. Um, you know, like Richard Schmidt's book was just an amazing book for painting for me. It, it really taught me everything I, I kind of needed to know uh, to, to get my to get my to get in the water and start becoming a painter uh, in, in terms of color edges, the visual world, and uh, just materials and other things. But all the prima painting is is basically direct painting, you know, and painting from life. Uh, there's no middleman. There's no interpretation for you. It's you making the choices. And sometimes you might want a certain look, but when you find yourself working under certain time constraints, you have to edit and you have to you have to distill the information and go for the essentials to create that that image or that visual experience. And so you you learn a lot about uh, yourself through through all the prima painting. Uh, even in terms of like what you want to set up and paint, you know, you do 25 paintings, you start to see a thread of continuity there. Uh, but as far as, um, um, as far as learning goes, just getting those repetitions with the mixtures that, that, that familiarity with the process, the setting up, the, the design, the block in, and the phases of the painting that kind of need to happen so that you can be effective and, and, uh, economic with your time. Uh, you just learn tremendous amount through failure, obviously. I mean, lots and lots of bad paintings and then one good painting comes along and you go, oh my gosh, like I've been doing that that all wrong I, I, and now I can try to use that, that n new knowledge to be more efficient in the future and then it just kind of goes on from there. That's, that's great to hear. Uh, it's the, doing it in one sit, uh, sitting. It's not a lot of preparatory work. Doing lots of them. And also seeing that there is a, a bias that you have towards subject matter uh, and toward approach. So, you're doing self-therapy in a way with a lot of a la prima. What is patina? Patina is just build up over time. So, in an indirect approach, you know, a painting can have uh, multiple passes and as soon as you, as soon as that paint dries and you work back into that portrait, something inherently changes about the nature of that portrait. It's no longer a, a direct painting or an alla prima painting and, and that can be, that can be, that can work against you if you, if you carefully work back in there and try to make it look like a, you know, you just want to do a few changes here. It might weaken the freshness of the alla prima and not really take it anywhere new or improved. But if the underpainting is just what it is, is an underpainting and then you build up layers to get somewhere further. Now, we're talking about patina where there's a lot more uh, maybe complexity and the, the textural buildup, uh, nuance in the surface rendering of the subtlety of form, uh, nuance in, um, in, in color and just paint quality and application uh, and, and patina meaning just that, that investment of time that, like you said, is undeniable. And, and a second, third, fourth, fifth stage of painting requires the painter to be all in. I mean, you can't just go in there and say, uh, I'm going to hesitantly hit this and try to make it look like I did anything. You've got an objective in those 
those later stages? Certainly. Uh, yeah. And I think the painter has to be all in at every stage and, and be able to change gears at every stage, you know, being all in in the block and it's like, hey, I just got to shovel dirt right now, you know, and, and be excited about that. Love that work, you know, just getting, just getting stuff on there. And you got to be dedicated to that and you got to be ready for, for something special to happen even in that shoveling dirt mode of, of painting something, right? Because that, that's where your, I think your um, disposition is really important at every stage of the painting. And so, shoveling dirt is, is, is good work, you know? And so, be ready for something special to happen or to find something great in that painting because that could carry the painting in a really great direction in those later stages. But every subsequent stage or, or layer or painting session, yeah, I mean, being, being uh, all in is, is really important and, um, and, and should serve a purpose, you know. There should be clarity and in, in some, I'm, I'm trying to go that way and there's a destination there. It's not always the same purpose, right? Certainly not. I think, yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, it, it can change. It can be for a higher degree of resolve or polish or finish or nuance or it could just be textural, you know, trying to get that, that texture built up and, and working within the entire composition as a whole. So, it, it could be a lot of different things, yeah. Joseph, this is great. This is wonderful stuff. Uh, and I'm tempted to pursue it and find out more but this is also the kind of thing. Joseph teaches online so you have access to him as a teacher. And what happens in those later stages after the lay-in is stuff that can be elaborated on in a class. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, I want to change subject. I want to hear more about what I don't know about you. I don't even know where you're from. Uh, I met you in spring of 1998. It was in a life drawing class. I'm pretty sure it was spring of 1998 because it was the final episode around May. It was the final episode of the Seinfeld comedy series. <laughs> and we had a class of 25 in a life drawing class. And I think four or five people showed up that night. And since I'd never seen the show, it was hard for me to have empathy with them. <laughs> but I don't remember them being that interested in life drawing or anatomy or form or anything. But I do remember that after that class was done, you would come up to me and ask questions and we'd hang around for a bit after class and you would say, respect, respect, and you'd ask questions. And I felt like, <laughs> I felt like after those class sessions that even though most people didn't want to even be in there, that it, it was an investment in you. And then a year or two uh, later, we did the storytelling class and you graduated when? 2000? Yes. Okay. And then since then, I remember when you were a student, you did a lot of skateboarders. Uh, tell us about what, tell us about your, your trajectory from the time you were first interested in art into college and then when you're, how you made your career happen. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, in high school, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, 
I was drawing a lot and impressing my friends and, you know, and uh, doing stuff like that. But I knew I, that I didn't understand the craft, so to speak, as well as I wanted to. Uh, but I could, you know, I could, I could design, I could make stuff up and I, can re I could make images, you know, but I wanted more. I knew there was more to be had. And so I wanted to pursue that from high school. And, you know, I was doing a lot of graffiti and I was skateboarding and, you know, just kind of in the Southern California kind of culture, you know. And uh, I thought that I knew it all. And I, and I went to, I went to, you know, school to, to kind of learn more and show everybody how great I was. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I was really terrible, actually, you know, come to find out because like I walked those halls and all of a sudden I saw a drawing in the window. I thought it was Don Lagerberg's class. There were these blue drawings in Prismacolor and there were figure drawings mm -hmm. and they had form. Marshall, yeah. they, they were three dimensional and they were, they, <laughs> they, they had a language that I recognized that I didn't speak. Mm -hmm. I knew I didn't speak that language. I was, I was seeing something and hearing something that I didn't know. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. I need to know that. What's, what are the principles behind that? Did you take classes with Don? Well, like you said, that I actually, so, I actually signed up, I tried to get into a class with Don and uh, it was packed. It was not like a few people in that class. There was a ton of people in there. And he says, if you want to kind of uh, stick around and we can talk after class about possibly getting in the class and getting you in there. And so, I stayed in the class to, um, to try to get in and, and it, uh, uh, long story short, I did not, I did not get into the class. And they, they stuck me and they stuck me in your class, you know? Uh, so, I was, I was not too happy about that. Um, but, uh -huh. cause I, I figured I have to wait a whole nother semester to learn this thing that I want to learn. And boy, was I wrong. That was perhaps the, the greatest learning experience for me, uh, in my entire career, that, that class, because it, you introduced us to draftsmanship. You introduced us to master drawings. You showed us the way. You you uh, uh, you you kind of opened that door. And and not only did you open that door, you passionately and clearly were able to articulate what it is that is going on in that language that I was seeing out there in the hallway. And uh, and and you did and you did it and you taught us some anatomy, which I probably wasn't even ready for. And, but I, I was able to uh, functionally start to learn about anatomy and the figure and the, the, the rhythms of the figure and gesture and how, how construction should conform to the spirit of the pose and all of these wonderful things. And in that class, I did some of my first real drawings uh, that were gestural and that had form and that, that were figurative, that, that, that kind of weren't just me going on my own. We did a lot of mannequinization. Yeah. In there, didn't we? Yeah, we turned the yeah. form into things that you could put rubber bands around a lot. That's it. All you got to do is put a rubber band around that thing and it'll tell you what, what it looks like in, th in space, you know. That was new to you? To some degree. It, to that extent, it was. I mean, I could draw three-dimensionally but if you look at my work up in... No, actually, I couldn't draw three-dimensionally. I thought I could draw... My, my drawings had some three-dimensional representation by default. Not by any, not by any uh, um, intended means necessarily. I mean, I intended it, but I, I didn't understand what I was doing necessarily, you know. And I had done cross-contour drawings in the, the initial figure drawing courses and so forth where they're just kind of, draw. here's the model, you know, 
do your thing type of type of uh, approach. What impressed me about your work that you apologized for, uh, it impressed me that you had this energy. You had skateboarders in all sorts of positions that presumably were coming from your imagination. Yeah, well, there was only a handful of those and they weren't that great and they were from my imagination. So, like I said, I mean, I had some ability there, uh, but it was in your class that I actually started using those tools really quickly and developing some of that stuff that, you know, some of that work that was kind of like, you know, still like subculture, subject matter and, and just kind of implementing some of that stuff and my friends gosh my friends love that stuff they 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 hate what I, I well I don't know if they hate what I do now but they respect what I do now but they want me to go back and do that old stuff you know what I mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> might you ever uh yeah in in a way in a way in fact I have like uh like it it's just it's just matured though it, and it's kind of interesting because like I would do a lot of like um you know scenes where you got a DJ over here, you've got some guys freestyle rhyming over here and then you've got this circle of dancers and I always enjoyed the energy part of the dancing and like the break dancing and this, there's this, this thing called like freestyling, freestyle dancing. That was the thing, like that's where all the, you know, not the big power moves but just the style, the finesse and all the, the coolest the coolest kids would, would be in that circle. Uh -huh. And so, I, I started employing my drawing to be doing that. Well, you know, 20 years later, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing similar things, but it's ancient. I mean, that's an ancient form of, of dance and martial art. It, it it's kind of derivative from like capoeira, I, I, if you're familiar with this. No, tell us, tell us about it. With slavery, uh, into the Americas came a, a lot of traditional dance and, and, uh, and these these slaves would practice self-defense and practice martial art but had to disguise it um obviously they couldn't be training how to how to fight so they would disguise it as a dance and so in brazil it was fostered and, cult and uh, cultivated and and just grew and it was outlawed it's uh it's a martial art essentially and a lot of the moves that um you know like break dancers are doing and just just you know uh, just movement in general, uh, you can find from this ancient tradition, you know, uh -huh. and it, it traces all the way back. And so, it it's something that my friend, a uh, friend of mine, Jelani, uh, I grew up with him since like the fourth grade. So, we're, we're pretty tight and that was his path. He, he went down that road and he's, he's seeking mastery as a martial artist, as a capoeista. You know, we used to dance in the circles together and all that kind of stuff and we still do. And so, I started training with him and actually training this form it, like correctly, so to speak. And um, so, I'm doing some images like that. Now, and we're, we're talking about subject matter. Yes. Right. Because I'm also hearing that there's something related to how the dancing happens and how the painting happens. Or at least at first, I suspected that there was something in there like that. There's a difference between a freestyle approach to painting and a very planned, methodical approach to choreography with a group. Uh, but I yes. don't know. I don't know whether you were hinting toward that. That's interesting because I, I did value in the past a lot more the improvisational act of making art, mm -hmm. and I still I still value that. And 
it might be something that I go back to uh, when when I just have made my path already. Be, and I still do it um, improv and just make it up. And uh, but uh, naturalism is so important to me. The craft is so important to me it, that that it's, I'm just not there yet to go back to that. But yes, there is a a, a, de, uh, a degree of improvisation to the work and, and then certainly to the, the art form and the martial art itself, uh, that, that do have a connection. But, um, uh, the, the paintings I'm making now are very planned and, and they're, they're anatomically, uh, they're, it's about the spirit, the energy, and that takes a lot of discipline in order to get those things looking correct and, and, and to still maintain the integrity of the, the spirit of the movement, you know? And so I'm, I'm trying to bring all of my my hard-earned uh, uh, skills to the table there, and kind of do a, a very respectful and uh, um, kind of reverent uh, depiction of this art form. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I hear the words reverent and respectful and words like that out of you often. It's that's part of how I I read your vibe. I'm also interested to see if you are going to revisit. Uh, stuff you were doing when you were in high school and beginning in college because there is something really cool about revisiting something from decades past but with a whole new mind that sees it from uh, another angle. I'm interested to see where you're going to go. Where do you uh, before we go to where you're going to go though, I still want to hear more about your past. Where are you from? Uh, so I'm from uh, just a, a city outside of LA. It's um, I grew up in a city called Rialto. It's it's like an hour hour east of LA, mm -hmm. in a little suburb, and um, it's is awesome. You know, we had a great great childhood. My parents are super supportive, and and uh, and you know uh, you know it was it was fantastic. Uh, we I I developed just tremendous friendships and. And just, uh, you know, a lot of love growing up, you know, so uh, very, very thankful for that. And, um, you know, just uh, we, are, we, were, we were artists, kids running around dancing and singing and, you know, skateboarding and having fun. And, you know, and, and we being in a neighborhood like that and, and developing those relationships cultivates a lot of different personalities. And I think it's a special place. Uh, I personally, uh, people who kind of come from there have have a, a, a particular vibe, so to speak. And, uh, mm -hmm. how would you describe and, it? Um, artistic, uh, -huh. uh, rich, um, a lot of love and, and, um, and, and also, uh, rough. It, it, it was, it was kind of rough. There was some, there was a lot of gang activity going on. Um, even in the suburbs because, you know, it's not everything in suburbs and, so there was some rough times and some rough areas and some rough uh, um, situations, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, just you know, just you know, just growing up in 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 California. <laughs> what happened when you when you announced that you were going to be an artist? Did you announce to the world, to the family, to the neighborhood friends that you were going to be an artist at a certain age? Yeah, I think so. It was elementary school. I was all about it. I, that was my favorite time of class. And, you know, I come home with this noodle project when everyone just kind of put their noodles on there. All my noodles were kind of lined up in a certain way. And, uh -huh. you know, and there was this kid, you know, 
I'm not going to say his name, but he was really good. He was a good artist. And, you know, he, he really, he really, uh, what do you, how do you say that? What's the term? He really got in my crawl, you know, because everyone liked his work, you know, and that, that, ah. that made me really competitive. I was like, wait a minute, you know, I'm, that's, that's my, I'm the one who can color the best in this class. Wow. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> do you have siblings? Did I it? do, Marshall. I have an older brother who's five years older mm-hmm. and and uh, about, gosh, how many years ago? Maybe, gosh, 15 years ago now, I met my older, older sister. And we had uh-huh. gone, I had gone 30, 30 something years not knowing her. And we, we had this big family reunion and oh my gosh, it was amazing. My sister is like my best friend. Wow. So, yeah, I have an older sister and an older brother. Any of them become artists? No, my brother is a mechanic and he, he's somewhat of an artist. He's a builder. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a tremendous um, engineer. He, mm-hmm. he builds these, these choppers, these Harleys, like these custom Harleys, you know, and he uh-huh. gets like a, well, not, he's not doing that anymore. He's on to the next thing, which is like custom drag boats, you know, and then uh-huh. he's like at some, he was into pre-runner trucks. And I mean, he always like goes through these different things, but he, you know, he, I mean, he's won awards and all this kind of stuff. So, he's kind of a car guy. But he's going about it creatively. He's got to have technical yeah. expertise at it and also make decisions and design things. Yeah. And him and my dad, my dad's a car painter. My dad's a, a he's a body guy. So, he, he, for his whole career was painting cars. And so, he's in, he's a hot rod guy and he's into painting. So, him and my brother are like, you know, they're like peas in a pod. And so, they're, they're the mechanic and then the car and then the paint. And so, you put that together and so, they're into custom vehicles and custom all kind of stuff. And your dad did pinstriping and design and, and painting on cars then? Yeah, that's right. But he didn't do the pinstriping. We had another guy, a friend of the family who did that. But he, he, would, he would put the stripes on the car. Like, he paint the stripes. Then the pinstripe would come back and clean up the edge, so to speak. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but you, you were around paint ever since you can remember then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, how about your sister? My sister is, uh, she's a free spirit. She's awesome. She's like, she's just uh, full of love and, uh, and just energy. And she's, she's amazing. You know, she, uh, she's in charge of um, raising a prodigy, a dance prodigy, my niece, Ryan. She's like, amazing dancer and she's going to be a star. She's a, she's in a lot of my paintings uh, because she's kind of like a fairy, you know. She's just this amazing little creature who can do all this cool stuff and um, so, my sister is, is really, you know, looking after her development and, and, and the other kids as well. They're also amazing. I, they're growing up so fast and having families of their own and it's just like, you know, it's exciting. She's uh She's fun. So, we get together. It's not as much, unfortunately, but we get together and, and just, we just, just have a, have a blast. She's amazing. The family is local here though to Southern California? Southern California, yeah, but we're kind of spread out now. Yeah, which is easy to have happen in Southern California. Uh, they must be proud of what you're doing. I think so. Okay. You graduated in 2000, or excuse me, yeah, in, in 2000, correct? That's right. Okay. Tell us what happened after you got out of university. Uh, so, I had started taking cl- courses at, at, um, at the ateliers uh, in LA um, during school actually. Um, 
you know, trying to kind of seek, I was work, like trying to uh, work with Glenn Vilpu and take his class and Carl Ganas. And so, after school, I needed to continue study. I just love that environment so much. So, I started to just uh, try to stay in the ateliers as much as possible and practice and hone my skills. And my intention was to become, uh, you know, concept designer number one and take Glenn Keane's job and, you know, be an animator. But I <laughs> was, you know, uh, obviously that, that wasn't going to happen. And the, a lot of the traditional animation jobs weren't around or available. And so, I, you know, I largely didn't have work and just uh, stayed uh, doing oddball jobs and working hard and staying in the classroom and started to see painters. You know, just, I just wanted to be a great draftsman uh, ultimately and use those skills in some dynamic way. And I thought that traditional animation and animating like figures and so forth was the way, to, was the way that I was going to do that. Uh, but, um, you know, I started to see painters in the magazines and, you know, and painting traditionally and painting naturalistically. And I didn't think that this was a, a possibility. I didn't know that people were still doing this and able to teach it, you know especially color in particular. And, uh, and so, um, I, I went in that direction and, um, found out that I happened to live really fairly close to, um, a really great school, the California Art Institute in Westlake Village where, uh, Fred Fixler established a school and he was, uh, gosh, let me get this right. The lineage goes back to Bridgman in New York, I believe, and back to even from there, you can trace it back to, I think, Jerome and all kinds of great art lineage, which is pretty cool. And, you know, Glenn Orbick was there at the school when I got there, and he obviously had a tremendous impact on, on that school and on the art world in Southern California. Yes. And so... I was fortunate enough to uh, study there and not a whole lot with Glenn, but a lot with one of his greater students, uh, Ryan Wormser, mm -hmm. who was a, a young painter and illustrator and an amazing teacher. He, he embodied some of the, the same enthusiasm and passion that you had. I gravitated towards that really quick and he could also articulate really well the what he was doing and what he, he could do it and he could speak about it. And, uh, he was fantastic. And he, he set me straight with, with the things I needed to know to, to go off and, and be a painter. And, uh, I, I just never looked back since then. Uh, I was also fortunate that, uh, Jeremy Lipking happened to study at that school with Glenn before. And by that time he was already into his career really, um, and a big influence on me as well. And, uh, he he would come to our class and we got to know him really well and paint and we formulated this really great group of amazing artists who are all still uh working today and uh and we were really close and we go you know museum trips and travel around and uh you know talk art until the stars you know till the sun came up basically and uh so that's how i kind of found out what I really wanted to do. And it was really special. I feel so fortunate to, to have such a great, um, great direction in a time where online teaching wasn't a thing. You couldn't just reach out and take a workshop with someone whose work you admired, you know. We're talking early 2000s. Yep. Early 2000s. 02, 03, 04, I started painting and, 
and saying and realizing I'm going to be a painter. I'm going to be a painter, you know, and, you know, thinking about some of the slides you would show us, N.C. Wyeth and Howard Pyle and all these great American illustrators and, and kind of just really resonating with, the, with paint and, yeah. and just oil painting and design and, and, uh, you know, that, that just, and then once, you know, once I got my oil paints and got into it and have my setup, I, I was just in love with the material. I wow. mean, I just have connection with, you know, it's, it's fat, it's magical when you first get that, that set of oil paint, and you, you know, you don't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. There is something about the love of the medium that can keep you going. It's like the, it, the love of a musical instrument can, can keep musicians at it for a long time. Yeah. Joseph, this is great to know. And there's something that the listeners may not know uh, that in the early 2000s was when there, there was a resurgence of animation production in the 1990s, much of it around Glen Keane with uh, Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Tarzan. And, uh, and Tarzan. Oh, yeah, Tarzan, which was so much, uh, he brought so much to that. And of course, these are big multi-million dollar productions, but it was in the early 2000s that 2D animators by the hundreds were shut out, left out. We're going to switch all to 3D now. It was, uh, it was, an un, it was a very awkward and in a lot of people's estimation, unjust period of time for what happened to the workers. I thought you were going to tell me there was a revival of 2D animation that I happened to miss out on. I was, I was, I'm glad, I'm not glad to hear this, but. That's coming. Oh. <laughs> that's, com that's coming from independent people, not from the big studios. The big studios are entirely committed to the, the wonder and magic and, and convenience of 3D. But yeah. there were hundreds in Southern California, there were hundreds of 2D animators uh, that were, that were shut out of the industry. They all were out of work. A number of them reinvented themselves. But you were young enough to where if you're not going to be an animator or an animation concept artist or whatever, you weren't going to go into animation. You just found another route that appealed to you that has been really fit for you. You made the best of something that these people were in the industry. They had experience. They were professionals. You were a pre-professional and you made an adjustment that you must be happy about it. Are you glad for the path that you've gone on for the last 20 years? I really am. Uh, I really am. It, it, it wasn't an easy path, Marshall. It's not an easy path. I mean, the fine art business is tough, you know, uh, for some, for, for others, it's, it's amazing, you know, uh, but it's been tough, but I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, this yeah. is, I'm a, I'm a painter at heart it, to the bone and I always have been. And, uh, and I knew like when, when I, first got that set of oils, you know, I, that this is what I wanted to do, spend a tr tremendous amount of my time doing. And that's basically what I've done. And uh, so, you know, it's worth it. It's been worth it. And, you know, I think that, you know, it, it's, it's kind of helped me become who, you know, who I am in a way and, you know, going through the rough times and dealing with some of the tough, uh, the, the tough career obstacles as a painter. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, but it's, it's, that's the path I'm on and I, I wouldn't change it. I'm pretty, pretty thankful to even be able, I mean, it's a pri privilege just to be able, I mean, kind of think about it. I mean, who gets to paint, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it's unbelievable how, 
uh, how cool it is, you know. Joseph, you are one of the very, very few students that I've ever had that has gone into the fine art world and been able to make it this way. And do I recall about eight or nine years ago when I first went to the great big LA art show in the LA Convention Center that you had work in there? Is that correct? I have, yeah. I've I've consistently showed at the LA Art Show. Wow. Um, uh, it's it's a fantastic venue. Yeah, it's a big deal too, isn't it? I mean, that is the big. People come from all around the world to yeah. assess and purchase from that show. Yeah, and there's quite a few of those art fairs, you know, in every major city you go to, they have a fair like that. So a lot of the a lot of the career painters are are um, you know making making their way by frequenting those shows or galleries that frequent those shows. It's a it's a great way to kind of uh, get get a lot of eyeballs on your work at once. People who are watching have seen your artwork. If you're listening to this by way of audio only, you have missed out on the images that Joseph has created. But I know that some people who will have seen your artwork, if it's for the first time, they're going to want to study with you and they're going to want to know what more, the, how they can keep in touch with you. How do people uh, find out more about you or get on your mailing list to know when you're offering classes? Uh, best way is through the website. There's a newsletter sign up just about on every page, I believe, and uh, at the bottom or even there's a, a, a tab for it. You just sign up on the newsletter. It's my last name, uh, Todorovich.com. Let's spell it. T-O-D-O-R-O. V is in Victor, I-T-C-H. Okay. So, we make sure we get a T in there and there are three O's all together. Yep. And so, yeah, there's some of my work on there. There's uh, some recent show groupings in there. Not everything, of course. I mean, a lot of the past work is is not up. I just, just to kind of, uh, you know, declutter the website. I just got some of the, the newer stuff up there. I've got a new painting on the homepage that I'm really excited about. It's about the pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. and... Uh, it's it's what I've been working on in my in my cave in my kind of uh, isolation mode. Well, it was wonderful to spend time with you finally and talk about art with you finally after all of these years and to do this in front of the world. I really I really appreciate the opportunity, Marshall. I genuinely uh, appreciate you and uh, and I want to say thank you to Stan as well and I appreciate him too and. Uh, I wish you guys the best. Stay safe and uh, ho hope to talk soon again, Marshall. Good spending time. Thank you for being with us. See you next week.